Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. We search for clues in the news and we pass them on to you. Today, the market is sending signals. We're going to figure out what it's saying right here on the Real Estate Guys radio program. Are you ready to profit in paradise? Hi, it's Robert Helms. And if you think real estate investing means tenants, toilets, and termites, think again. Located just a short plane ride from the U.S., a virtually untouched paradise awaits. The beautiful country of Belize. When you go to Belize with the Real Estate Guys, you'll spend four fabulous days discovering one of the most intriguing real estate markets I've ever seen. With its jungle rainforests, pristine beaches, and 81-degree turquoise water, Belize is one of the most beautiful places on Earth. Plus, it's considered one of the top seven tax havens in the world. And why U.S. real estate continues to drop, Belize property is on the rise, and many experts think the best is yet to come. But don't just take my word for it. Come experience Belize firsthand at our upcoming investor field trip. When you join us, you'll discover the many reasons we love Belize, like tremendously undervalued beachfront land, super low taxes, ease of doing business, and so much more. Get the details at realestateguysradio.com. Just click on events. See paradise for yourself. Click events at realestateguysradio.com, and I'll see you in beautiful Belize. Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms, here in beautiful, sunny Phoenix, Arizona, with our co-host, Russell Gray. Hey, Robert. We're missing something. Hey, what is that? It's the sunshine. Yes, there's no no sunshine. We often come to, to Phoenix because it's beautiful and it's warm, and today it is freezing cold and raining, but still, nonetheless, uh, maybe that's part of the signal of what we're supposed to be understanding from the marketplace. We're going to uh, basically do a Clues of the News episode today. What we like to do is scour the headlines, and when I say we, I mean us and find out what is the news telling us. And you got to keep in mind that everything you read in the news or watch on television or hear on the radio even is generally somebody's interpretation of what's happening, not necessarily what's happening. And so we try to delve deeper into the headlines than just what is obvious. And there's no one better at that than my co-host, Russell Gray. Yeah, I think the bigger thing about the whole clues in the news thing is a lot of times when you read reports or statistics or something that shows up in the news, you're looking in the rearview mirror. They're reporting on what happened. Right. And what we're really looking for is trying to figure out what's happening and then where it's leading. And there's a big difference there. And obviously, the big thing is anytime you're looking at any type of financial markets, 90% of the discussion is about supply and demand. And then we always pull out that other component of demand we call capacity to pay. And that's especially important in real estate because capacity to pay is so important. It's such a high ticket item that there's almost always financing involved. So whatever is going on in the financial markets, interest rates, availability of capital, lending guidelines, borrowers' confidence and their willingness to borrow, how strong their incomes are, how stable their employment is, that all has a direct relationship to what's going on in the real estate market. Well, and as a student of real estate, as you look at markets where there is no financing or very little financing, what we discover is that the values and pricing behave differently than in markets where we introduce a lot of financing. And what we saw in the U.S., lots of leverage, arguably too much leverage. We all know what happened. We know how that story ends. So we're always looking towards what's happening in the supply of capital especially as far as it concerns real estate purchases. Yeah, even if you look within the United States, you look at the differences between a market like California that had a lot of equity and very liberal access to that equity, and a lot of that equity got transferred into low-cost states like Nevada and Florida and Texas and some other places. 
And yet you look at what was going on at that time, because I was in the mortgage business at that time, and Texas law made it very difficult for you to actually access equity in your property. The cash out refinances were kind of frowned upon. The result was Texas ended up with a more stable real estate market. And so the point is, is that, you know, you have to understand that these things are different from place to place, and you need to understand how they affect the market that you're in. Right now, uh, we spend a lot of time looking at this whole supply demand, which are the fundamental drivers of economic activity. It affects the asset values, it affects the cash flows, and it affects, as we already talked about, the cost of capital interest rates. And obviously, the Fed has been very active in manipulating the financial markets specific to interest rates, which is great right now. You know, we're going to look at some uh, headlines and things today, but I saw one today on the plane that said, Fed shows no signs of stopping. And it was referring to, obviously, the buying of the treasuries. But do you need a newspaper headline to tell you that, right? Probably not. No, but what you really have to do is understand, it's like the old game mousetrap. You just have to understand kind of the mechanical relationship. And we've talked about it many, many times in the show. We don't you know, want to go into a lot of detail in there. But the, the point is, people feel, and I think rightfully so, that as the Fed eases or prints money to purchase bonds to drive down interest rates, that money eventually is going to show up in the economy in the form of inflation. The basic definition of inflation is too many dollars chasing too few goods. So if you don't have production growing by the level that they're printing money, you're going to have prices going up. Now, the reality is in a healthy or honest system, when you start getting an increase in production, you're going to see prices coming down. Everybody thinks that's bad unless, of course, you're the consumer. Right. You know, you, it's a lot more prosperous for everybody. The lower end of the economic spectrum ends up benefiting from increases in productivity uh, because now everything becomes cheaper. But what happens now in the Fed's attempt to keep prices stable, which means artificially high, they suck up the value of that productivity. That is what it is. And so, you know, you got inflation hawks out there screaming, hey, gold is going to go to 5,000, gold is going to go to 10,000, the Dow is going to go to 20,000, you know, 20 years from now, real estate is going to be three, four times as much, you know, wages are going to go up at the State of the Union, the president is calling for higher minimum wage. Those are all signs of inflation. Now, on the flip side of it, you've got people coming out going, hey, there is no inflation. Have you looked at housing prices lately? Well, if you look at the headlines, we're going to be looking at housing prices are beginning to show some of that inflation. But my thing, have you been to the gas pump lately? Right. Right? I mean, it is showing up in the economy and everybody out there is feeling it. It just doesn't spread out evenly. Our argument for the last three years has been as long as there's going to be loose money, sooner or later, it is going to find its way into real estate. And we've been watching the news to see if and when that's happening. I'm here to say with today's collection of headlines, we're going to begin to see some signs of actual inflation in real estate. The good news is real estate moves slowly, so there's time to get in. And the bad news is real estate moves slowly, right? which means there's no sense of urgency. It's easy to be asleep at the wheel and miss the whole opportunity. So real estate responds to this excess money typically by going up. Yeah. And so as you're looking at the market you're in, you have a point on the curve. You have something to compare, at least to where the market has been previously. We try to take a little more of a bird's eye view and look at multiple marketplaces so that we can kind of gauge what's happening. And part of that is great because you start to see trends, but part of it is also that all real estate is local. So if I look at 20 or 30 or 40 markets, it might not be that meaningful. I need to concentrate on a locale where I can get returns based on what I'm going to take action. 
Washington. But we have to start with kind of what's happening in the big picture. Well, this is where it gets really interesting because there's about six different terms I think you have to understand if you really want to understand the prices going up and prices going down. Yeah. There's appreciation and there's inflation. They both look the same on the outside because the thing used to be 100000 and today it's 200000 Right. But if there's an imbalance of supply and demand, meaning people are willing to pay a greater portion of their wealth, they're willing to sacrifice more to have something that's rare, that's appreciation. Yep. That's based on too little supply, too great a demand, and of course, with capacity to pay. And it's independent of what might be happening with the money supply. Correct. And that is definitely local. You know, you could be in a marketplace like the San Francisco Bay Area or New York where the water and just the geography doesn't allow the expansion of the supply as opposed to the middle of the country somewhere where you could build tracks of homes for days if you chose to. Like when I call my broker in New York and say, listen, anytime you get a 15-acre parcel in Manhattan, give me a call. Exactly. You know, it's just not going to happen. Right. You know, so that's appreciation. Inflation spreads out really a little bit more evenly. Um, because it's an economic thing. And it's, again, what we've talked about, too many dollars chasing too few goods and services. And so as the Fed is pumping money into the economy, it puddles up unevenly, but it also spreads out much more evenly than the very local uh, factors of what causes appreciation. So those are the two of the terms. Yep. There's another term. The, the opposite it would be depreciation and deflation. Yep. Now, people get them confused, right? So depreciation is when there's excess supply and too little demand. Now yep. you've got to drop your price in order to find a buyer. Okay, that's pretty easy to understand. Deflation would be literally if we were sucking money out of the system and it, it there were too few dollars chasing too many goods. Yep. Okay, so, so we don't see that too much, although you hear people talking about, ooh, deflation, deflation. In this environment, you think, well, how could there be deflation in an environment where they're doing so much quantitative easing? Right. It isn't really deflation. It's deleveraging. And those are the other two terms. There's leverage and then there's deleveraging. So when you add leverage, you give somebody the capacity to pay a lot more for something than they could normally afford. Just ask anybody who's ever went to buy a car, right? Yep, that's the perfect analogy. You go to your local car dealer, whether it's a used car dealer or a new car dealer, and it's all about the monthly payment based on the interest rate, spread over time, and so forth. If absent that ability to leverage, the car you can afford is equal to the amount of cash you have to hand the car dealer. So with the tool of leverage, it changes that completely. Yeah, this is the whole problem in student loans right now. This is what's going on with college education, something near and dear to my heart. Super expensive. Why? Because instead of having to pony up the real money, people go into debt against the future. So you're pulling money from the future into the present to bid up the value of that education or the cost of that education. And then, of course, these kids graduate with gigantic debts. For people who want to graduate debt-free, it is really, really an uphill climb. Same thing. People who want to own a home free and clear have got to compete against people. You know, they put $20,000 down and can go get $80,000 from the future and bring it into the present and pay $100,000 for a property they really only have $20,000 to pay for. That's what leverage does. Well, the opposite of that is when leverage comes out of the marketplace and those loans are no longer available. All of a sudden, people who used to be able to get that $80,000 loan and buy that $100,000 place, they can't do it. I mean, something as simple as you say, okay, 20% down. Now you have to have 25% down. Well, that means it's only a $75,000 loan and you have to have more, more money, right? Yep. So it becomes harder for people to be able to bid things up because they have to come up with a greater down payment. And we've seen a lot of the mortgage world fall apart 
uh, over the last three or four years. And what we predicted would happen is beginning to happen. And that is those pipelines, those conduits of getting the money from the printing presses to Main Street are beginning to get rebuilt. And so the first thing we're looking for and wondering if this wave of inflation, if and when it's going to hit real estate or price increases are going to hit real estate, is going to come from what's going on in the capital markets. Well, in fact, that's exactly what we want to look at because so many of the people who were buying real estate back in the day were relying on those loans they were used to getting. As soon as that changed and the supply of capital was down, then it had an effect on prices. So we've absolutely been watching, and there's been lots of answers to that problem, right? Originally, we knew that there would be a constipation, and there was, right? Everyone just, the knee-jerk reaction was stop lending money and make it really hard. And then all of a sudden, little by little, there were pipelines, and they were small at first. But we're now starting to see that there are alternative ways to get capital into real estate. Well, the mortgage markets actually went on life support because what happened is the private investors who were purchasing the mortgage-backed securities all of a sudden found out these AAA bonds they thought they were buying all of a sudden were junk bonds and they weren't getting junk returns for them. Yeah, the A's standard for awful. Yeah, and as soon as, soon as people realized that, they quit buying. So the flow of money into those mortgage-backed securities stopped. In order to save the real estate market... The government stepped in and they increased the uh, lending limits on government-backed loans. So you saw a big increase in FHA, Fannie, Freddie, and ultimately the nationalization of the U.S. mortgage market. So one of the themes you're hearing here is it's not just what the markets do. There is manipulation of the markets. That is what quantitative easing is. That's what printing money is. But not only that, when it comes to controlling the interest rates and the money that's available, the very money you're speaking about that becomes available through the what were once government-sponsored agencies and become government-owned agencies, that skews the whole thing. Yeah, so now we're seeing that. So the question is, is when will private capital come back into the marketplace and add to this government market? And when is all this money going to begin to ease back in? The headlines are telling us it's beginning to happen. And that's what we're going to talk about when we come back. Clues in the news today on the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Real estate investment advice right in your mailbox. Sign up for the free Real Estate Guys newsletter at realestateguysradio.com. Is investors survey the country for markets and properties that will perform well for them over the next five to 10 years, one market in particular stands out. That's Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta was the second fastest growing MSA throughout the last decade. It's home to the world's busiest airport and has one of the highest concentrations of Fortune 500 companies in the country. Atlanta is expected to add 100,000 new people every year for the next 10 years. And just next year alone, Atlanta is predicted to add over 50,000 new jobs. Now, what if I told you you could buy fully renovated, leased, and cash-flowing investment properties in this market for half a replacement cost? That's right, three- and four-bedroom homes in good suburban neighborhoods that can be purchased completely renovated for seventy dollars to $90,000. At Georgia Residential Partners, this is exactly what we do. We've been helping investors all over the country make solid real estate purchases in Atlanta for almost seven years. Call us today at 770-924-5450 or check us out online at gainvesting.com. Hi, this is Steve Forbes. You're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Have fun. You'll learn something. 
and welcome back to the Real Estate Guys radio program, the number one downloaded podcast on real estate investing. Thanks so much for tuning in. We are checking out the headlines today. It's clues in the news, and Russ has been scouring the headlines for those very clues, and there's a lot going on, a lot of telltale signs. I think the market is speaking. I probably get 200 emails a day from different newsletters and services and things that I subscribe to, and I scan the headlines, and I grab things that are interesting, and I throw them in a folder in my computer, and then when I sit down to prepare for a show or a presentation or just when I want to sit down and think about a particular topic, I have all this resource material that I've kind of collected. And so one of the things that I found from early February was uh, from National Real Estate Investor Magazine, and the headline said, Borrowers Report Stable Conditions Within Capital Markets. Well, this is one of the clues I've been waiting for, right? I've been waiting to see is when are we going to see a return to normalization, stabilization in the capital markets. And so these are private capital markets, not the government markets, like we mentioned before the break, you know, that have been really handling uh, the life support. But when are the ca private capital markets going to move back into, into the mortgage business? And so that's what's been happening. And, you know, during the crash and coming out of the crash, the best sector to be in was the apartment sector. Yep. Our friend Ken McElroy did real well, and that was ex his exact rationale. He goes, Look, I know the government's going to prop up residential. Uh, I know that Fannie and Freddie are in a mess as far as one to four goes because that's where a lot of these bad bonds were. He moved into the apartment business, which was basically the business he was in before. Just it was great for him. And he recognized not to run from that, but to embrace it. And he accumulated hundreds of millions of dollars of real estate, getting cheap government money when it was available before the rest, everybody else was running in panic. He stayed focused and calm and went out there and acquired a bunch of assets. A lesson in that for sure. Yeah, you know, but that was then. So really, you know, what about now? And so now what's happened is because that was such a strong sector, you had the GSE money, the, the government sponsored, you know, Fannie Freddie money coming in. You had demand for affordable housing because people were losing houses left and right. The economy was soft, people losing jobs and moving out of houses and moving into more affordable apartments. And then you had builders who couldn't get financing and most of them were too scared to build anything. I mean, we saw builder confidence drop all the way down into the mid single digits. Yeah. I mean, it was, as, it was unbelievably low, you know, but today you know, that old adage that the market abhors a vacuum really has come true because you can't have unmet demand sit there in the marketplace before entrepreneurs are going to go, you know what, I'm going to venture out. I'm going to go take a chance. I'm going to get in because people just can't, you know, not have places to live. And so we've seen a boom of apartment building. So the next headline that I saw that began to tell me that we're beginning to see the signs of what would I consider to be more of a, a run-up. It, it's kind of like, did you ever play Crack the Whip when you are a kid? Sure. Right? So you play Crack the Whip and you start out kind of slow and you swing the person around. Or if you ever water skied and you come around the boat, right? And then when you hit that little point, boom! all of a sudden it's like someone just turned the turbo boosters on. It starts moving real fast and the transition's pretty quick. If you're not ready for it, you get thrown, right? Yep. That's the whole fun part of the game. Well, in the financial markets, the same thing can happen. You know, the, the market goes through swings. It's just like somebody uh, trying to manage a, a fishtailing car. You know, they overcorrect one way, they overcorrect the other way, and you're going back and forth and you're getting whipsawed. Markets do that. And the more manipulation, in other words, the more you try to correct or overcorrect, the more the opposite reaction, the greater force of the opposite reaction, it can really begin to swing uh, wildly. And so now we're beginning to see 
there's concerns in the marketplace and the headlines about overbuilding. So this, I believe, also came from National Real Estate Investor magazine, said too soon to worry about apartment overbuilding. And the article says market watchers are beginning to express concern about apartment overbuilding. Apartments have been one of the hottest real estate sectors since the financial crisis hit for all the reasons we talked about, right? More renters, they're less affluent, government subsidized funding. And the article goes on to say the development pipeline is robust. These are new apartment buildings being built. But market researchers at the National Multi-Housing Council's annual meeting, which was held just in January in Palm Spring, said that the sector remains in the clear. In other words, they're not concerned about overbuilding. But this is a very interesting phrase in the article. It says, well, the pipeline in some markets, this is your local thing you were talking about earlier, is at worryingly high levels. The national supply is within normal levels. Okay, so national supply. Who lives in an apartment building nationally? Where where do you live? In the Canada. (laughs) Oh, okay. Where in Canada? Oh, just in Canada. And then I think I might move to the United States. Right. That's not how markets work at all. No. That's like, you know, I have one foot in boiling hot water and the other foot in freezing cold water. And on average, I feel pretty good. Yeah. There is no average. And and, and this is an interesting point, too. And, And it's part of what makes the real estate market unique. So follow us on this. When you're looking at a more efficient market, like the stock market, it's clear to see what investors are valuing an equity at on that day because we see the price goes up, it goes down, it stays even. All of a sudden, a lot of people, not just one or two, a lot of people in the apartment sector, guys like Ken McElroy that do rehab, brand new construction from people that are getting into the apartment building or in that space, retail investors who go, you know, retailing at the spot, we're going to move into apartments. All those folks see the opportunity at the same time. And what do they do? They start to look for land. They start to look for opportunity. They start to look for rehabs. But there's no one central quarterback or or game plan. There's no one market to go at, right? It's it's like watching a bunch of five-year-olds play soccer, right? And we call them the killer bees, right? Instead of spreading out and working the whole field, they all run to where the ball is and they just hover around it. And, you know, I mean, these kids grow up to become adults and they're out there in the soccer field of the financial markets. They see the opportunity and everybody runs to where the opportunity is. And so capital really reallocates quickly in response to market feedback. This is the challenge, right? It's why we watch this stuff because when you have manipulated markets, the question is, are they responding to real stimulus and I don't mean like economic stimulus, right. like the stimulus plan. I mean, but are, are they responding to things in the market that are real? The real demand, the real capacity. Yeah. Pay. Or are they responding to things that are manipulated? Because if they're responding to things that are manipulated and then the manipulation either changes or is withdrawn, a lot of capital can wake up and find itself in the wrong place. And that's where you have this overcorrection. As soon as it does, it's like all the kids realize, wow, the kid just kicked the ball to the other side of the field. And they all the bees. And where they were now becomes a ghost town. Well, it's like in the 80s when there were all these tax incentives to invest in order to get losses. And so the investment didn't matter. Oh, we'll go buy that shopping center. The underlying investment was almost inconsequential. You were buying tax breaks. You were buying tax breaks. So that affected the market. That was a manipulation of the market. There was a lot of folks that said, well, okay, I can't get loans to build office. I can't get loans to build industrial. Oh, I can get loans to build apartments? Well, then let's build apartments. How hard can it be? Then all of a sudden apartments pop up. And and the part of the sum markets is there are absolutely markets where there is overbuilding of apartments. And there are absolutely markets where, for whatever reason, people didn't choose to to build there yet. Right. Now, see, the thing is, when a developer goes out, they're like a flipper. I mean, they're in it. They're in it to get in and to get out. They're going to make their money. If you're coming in as an investor 
and you're going to get married to that market and that property for a decade or two decades or three decades, you have to think about whether or not the underlying factors supporting that investment are going to stay there long term. It's great right now that you can lock in cheap long-term financing. That's one of the gigantic benefits of what's going on. Probably the greatest benefit of what's going on right now is 30-year mortgages on pretty much any type of real estate that are just at such unbelievably ridiculous cheap rates you may never see them again the rest of your life but you know the other part of it is is just you have to be confident that whatever it is is really going to be there and that's why when you're investing based on supply and demand imbalances you have to understand is this supply and demand situation permanent or temporary. And what hat are you wearing? If it's an 18-month window and you're developing, that might be enough, right? But if you're talking about a long-term buy-and-hold strategy of apartment buildings, well, then you better look further than just 18 or 24 months. Well, and that's where if you're watching the news and you're trying to pay attention to the strength of the real estate market and you're listening to home builder stocks and home builder sentiment, that's interesting, but they're not investors. They're not doing what you're doing. Right. They're not purchasing streams of cash flow for the long term. They're not hedging against inflation for the long term. They're flipping. They're getting in and they're getting out and they really don't care at the end of the day. You know, they just, once your, once your check and your loan clears escrow and they walk out with the money, they're done. They are done and they're on to the next place and they're on to the next market. They have a lot more flexibility over what they do than you do. So if you've gone into a market and said, hey, this market's taken off because of there's not enough supply and there's a great demand, you have to say, well, where's that demand coming from? Right. And typically, what is that? That's jobs. That's new industry. That's a change of use. It could. There's all kinds of reasons that drive demand. Is it true demand or was it builder speculation? Well, there's that too, because, you know, you talked about what happened in Las Vegas back in the day and so many properties were selling to speculators who were buying the real estate because it was cheap. It couldn't rent, but it didn't have to. I'm just going to sit on the property for a year, sell it in a year and, and make a profit. Builders just knew they were selling. They didn't really care what you were doing with it. So they said, hey, I just sold out that tract. I'm going to build another tract. I'm going to build another tract. Everybody sees everybody getting rich. And so like a bunch of little kids on the soccer field, they all go there. It gets built out. And there was no natural constraint, not at least a substantial constraint to how much they could build out. There was maybe six or seven years of absorption at that current rate, but it wasn't real absorption, right. as we find out in hindsight. And it's always easy to be brilliant in hindsight, right? I mean, a lot of these markets can, can fool you, but that's why, you know, we're smarter today. That's why we study these well, things. Well, we, as the real estate guys, we are experts at predicting the past. <laughs> we're trying to learn to look into our murky crystal ball and do our best to come up with what the future might be. Absolutely. So anyway, the concept of a production gap is is when when the demand manifests and people cannot get through the, the financing, permitting, planning processes fast enough, prices go up and you think, oh, this is going to go on forever. And then the market really has the capacity to expand the supply markets, uh, the prices can actually stabilize or drop. And if you're betting on long-term appreciation in a marketplace that doesn't have anything underneath it except a supply-demand imbalance that's temporary, you can get stuck holding a bag you don't want to hold. Or you might be looking at data someone else is. Imagine that there's true demand for 300 apartments in a market. And three different developers are all starting their plans to build 300-unit apartment buildings. They just don't know each other's doing that. Now, you obviously watch for new home permits, and you look for apartment permits, and you look for starts and all of that stuff. But out of the ground, you might not know. You might be able, not be able to tell. There is no one common marketplace. Right. So apartments have been hot. 
And apartments still continue to be hot. They're a great performing asset, but there's beginning to be concern of overbuilding. These are the signs that were coming out in the housing market, the uh, residential one to four market, single family home market, right before the crash. Now, I'm not saying the apartment sector is going to crash, but if I'm an apartment owner, I'm going to start paying attention. Fortunately, you know, we're getting ready to spend some time with Mr. Ken McElroy on the summit, and we're going to pick his brains. And I'm guessing coming out of the summit, we're probably going to have a radio interview or two, but we're certainly going to have a lot of great ideas and things we pick up while we, while we spend that week with him. Absolutely. Now, this is when we would normally shamelessly promote the Investor Summit at Sea, except it has been sold out for quite some time. So uh, give us a few weeks, and we'll start shamelessly promoting next year's yeah. Investor Summit. Summit at sea. The 12th annual, if you can believe that. So what about houses? I found another article. Reuters in January said home prices see their best yearly gain since 2006. Okay, that gets your attention. Yeah. So so now, you know, if you can, I mean, on the radio, if you can visualize this, right, you've got this trough that it's gone through and it went down this dip and now it's climbing back out the other side. And it's about even with where it was when it started the downward slope, yep. right? Except it's it's on an upward trend. And so the big question is, is, you know, is it going to continue to bust out past that? I think a lot of people are arguing that that's probably going to end up being the case. And if you really look at some of the numbers that I've been looking at, you'll see a lot of the attention is still on the lower end of the product. And I'm sure I've got some stuff we can talk about that later. Well, I think part of that is the reason apartments are hot is because of the price point of apartments. It's the same thing when we look at the more recession-resistant inventory, the lower end of the markets. The point is, is that housing is beginning to to show signs of going up. The asset values have stabilized. The free fall has stopped. We're beginning to meter in the foreclosure inventory. And in fact, we have an interesting uh, article or report on that that just talks about the effect of what's going on in a market, whether it's a judicial or non-judicial uh, foreclosure state and how quickly the inventory flushes out of the market. But housing is beginning to come back to Return to the Real Estate Guys radio program. We're checking out the clues in the news. When we come back, it might be your chance to win a prize as we play real estate trivia today on the Real Estate Guys radio program. Need help with your real estate investment portfolio? Check out the resources page at realestateguysradio.com. Looking for solid cash flow in a market where the jobs are likely to stay put? Hi, this is Robert Helms. Join me April 26th through 28th for the Real Estate Guys Investor Field Trip to Memphis, Tennessee. I'm excited to show you this affordable real estate market where cash flow is the name of the game. You'll meet active developers, rehabbers, property managers, plus folks from the Chamber of Commerce and many surprise guest speakers. Find out how the four R's of Memphis will virtually ensure a steady supply of qualified tenants. For all the details, visit realestateguysradio.com and click on events. Join me in Memphis for an amazing cash flow weekend. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click events. Why is it that in every horror movie, there's a pretty girl who goes into a creepy house and heads down into the scary basement? Nothing good ever happens in the basement. What is she thinking? I feel the same way when I continue to see Americans dump billions into 401ks, IRAs, and mutual funds, even self-directed IRAs. On top of that, they continue to perpetuate the massive U.S. banking system by keeping large deposits at banks and using credit cards and other loans for purchases. Don't they realize what's going to happen? More profit for them and less profit for you. Nothing good ever happens in the basement. Now there's another way. Visit our friends at Paradigm Life by going to www.beerbank.com and learn how to become your own banker today. 
This is Gary Johnson, and I'm here to say, listen to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. Tell a friend about The Real Estate Guys. You know, when you listen and they listen, there is no additional cost. It's the coolest thing. (laughs) Hey, it is time to do something we do halfway through almost every show. It's time to play Real Estate Trivia, your chance to win a prize by knowing the answer to today's trivia question, which, of course, has something to do with real estate. Here's how it works in a minute. I'm going to give you the question. You are going to quickly fire off an email to trivia at realestateguysradio.com, including your name, your mailing address, and the correct answer to the question. The first person who gets through with the right answer wins a copy of Equity Happens, Building Lifelong Wealth with Real Estate, our book on real estate investing signed by the authors because we know those guys. Then we take all the correct guesses for the week, and whether you listen on the podcast or our website or your friend's eight-track tape, whatever it is, whatever, however you're listening, we take all the correct guesses and have a drawing for a second a copy of the book. That way, there's no discrimination against podcast listeners. So, last week on The Real Estate Guys, here was our question. According to the Urban Land Institute, how many years does the average American live after they retire? And the answer is 19. Now, I don't know if that's optimistic, pessimistic, if that's heartwarming, if that's scary, but that's the answer. It's approximately 20 to 25% of your lifetime is lived after you retire. It depends on how big your nest egg is. <laughs> how <laughs> is long? It too long or not enough? Will it last? Here's our real estate trivia question for this week. Name the smallest province in Canada. Now, I know you're thinking, you mean in terms of land area or water area? And the answer is both. The smallest province in Canada, which one is it? If you know or want to take a guess, quickly send us an email to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Trivia at realestateguysradio.com, and you might be the proud owner of an autographed copy of Equity Happens. That's today's real estate trivia question. We're talking about clues in the news. Russ has been scouring the headlines and started to see some signs of a change in the real estate market. Yeah, so let's talk about commercial a little bit now. So uh, this one says indices show slow, steady recovery for commercial real estate. Now, if you think back and remember during the whole mortgage meltdown, right, subprime started, everybody said, oh, it's going to be contained to subprime. And then it wasn't contained to subprime. It spread to prime and it totally infected housing in the entire financial market because it just got all over mortgage-backed securities. And then we found out later about all the derivatives and all the impact of all of that. And so then the big shoe that everybody was waiting to drop was the commercial mortgage-backed securities. Right. And I remember we talked about that on the show. We said, here's the difference, though. First of all, the people who are in that business are quite a bit more sophisticated. Yeah. Second of all, they've all seen what just happened, and they're getting ready for it. The other thing is those securities generally are shorter-term uh, maturities because the loans are typically shorter. So the people are going in thinking, hey, this is a 10-year deal. They're not thinking a 30-year deal. So there was a lot of reasons to think that maybe that wasn't going to be as bad. I'm not saying it wasn't bad, right? I mean, you saw uh, several shopping mall, the second biggest shopping mall developer went bankrupt. I mean, you saw a lot of train wrecks in that space because they were not able to refinance that short-term debt when it came up. So it was bad. But you also saw some of those lenders being a lot more proactive in terms of working with their borrowers than happened in the residential space. Yeah. Well, again, you know, just kind of the nature of the people who are in the business. And we've had a couple of people who did loan workouts in the residential space on the show over the years. And we had people who've done loan workouts in the commercial space over the years in the high end. Uh, Just a very different level of sophistication and professionalism. Uh, and so on. So I think some of that's reflected in how how the markets have responded. Plus, at the end of the day, you know, when the news is being broadcast, unless you're in the industry, 
you're only listening to stuff that's talking about residential real estate. We spend a lot of time talking about residential real estate because that's what most people out there can relate to. They live in houses, they rent houses, they maybe start their investing career buying duplexes or fourplexes or renting out their former residence or something like that. But when you step up to the next level, um, it's quite a bit different. You know, like when we hang out with a guy like Sam Freshman or Ken McElroy, guys that hang out in, 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 in bigger deals. So anyway, so the article says the indices have been released for 2012 and they show continued steady strength for commercial property investments. And they uh, uh, interviewed this guy named Ron Kaiser, chairman of the National Council of Real Estate Investment Fiduciaries. The real estate investment returns, he says, real estate investment returns have a reputation for stability and 2012 has reinforced that. Not only have quarterly total returns again come in at the 2.5% level, that's 2.5% per quarter times four annualized 10%. That's pretty darn good, right? But all property types and nearly all geographic regions report similar numbers. There's a lot in that sentence right there. If you really think about it, first of all, 10% 10% annualized, Yeah. right? I mean, by today's standards, that looks pretty darn good. So think about this. I'm the Federal Reserve, not really, but if I'm the Federal Reserve and, and I'm thinking to myself, I have got to get people who have been scared out of their wits to get money back into circulation. Everybody's run to treasury bonds and they're hiding. Everybody's run to savings accounts and they're hiding. What can I do to get them out? I can push interest rates down to nothing. Yep. And at some point, it's like, I call it an interest rate siege. You know, like when, when those guys used to come in and they would want to take the castle and they would cut off the supply lines. It's like, you guys got the big walls. You got the big castle. You can hide in there for a while. Right. But sooner or later, you're going to run out of water and you're going to run out of food and you're going to come out. When you come out, I got you. Yeah. And so there's this interest rate siege going on and people are hunkering down, hiding in their savings account. And they're hiding in their, in their treasuries and they're getting no yield. And at some point, they're like, I'm starving I'm coming out. I'm going to put the money in the marketplace. And so they look for things that have a reputation for stability, as he said in the beginning of the quote, right? And 2012's reinforced that. And they're looking at 10% returns. So, you know, as much as we bash the Fed, if I'm them and I have the tools at my disposal, I'm trying to get people to re-engage in a marketplace when they're hiding under the covers, you know, with their eyes closed. I'm going to drop interest rates until they come out. Well, and part of the bashing of the Fed is just not necessarily agreeing with the reasons behind what they do, but we're more students of the Fed. We want to study what they do, and if we can figure that out, align our interests with that direction. Exactly, exactly. So clearly they're flushing money back into the marketplace, and it shows up because it says, what he says is not only have quarterly returns again come in at the 2.5% level, which we just talked about, but all property types and nearly all geographic regions. When I see all property types and nearly all geographic regions, knowing that real estate is local, business and economies are local, I think, okay, well, that's not a local driver. If it's spreading out evenly, it's got to be monetary policy. Well, and a big part of that is because when money sits on the sideline for too long, Eventually, it has to come out of the castle, and where's it going to run? Lots of different places. And so as we're looking around and we're seeing more movement, some of it is like you can only take so much bad news. Right. Right. When it's bad news after bad news after bad news, pretty much you go, you know, I'm tired of bad news. I'm going to have a better attitude. And the market sentiment is like that. We can only put up, as a market, we can only put up with crap for so long. That's it. I mean, that's it, right? You're only going to do that. You're only going to be starved of hope and opportunity for so long before you come out, right? Well, and and shocked into the corner with your piggy bank. You're going to be shocked for a little while. 
But after, right. you know, you wake up every day and the sun's still out there and people are still having jobs and kids are out playing and the birds are chirping. Pretty soon you're like, well, I'm getting nothing. In fact, I'm losing. So why don't I try to put some of this to work? Well, I'm, people are resourceful. You know, entrepreneurs, especially in a capitalistic environment where you can be rewarded by your own efforts and, and brilliance. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, you're going to get people who are going to go work. But the, the thing, the point that I want to make on this is when you see all property types, nearly all geographic regions reporting similar numbers, before you go jumping into an asset class because you oh commercial's great remember 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 real estate is local and if monetary policy is the only thing that's flushing money into an asset class then it's at some point when that stimulus goes away you're going to find out who's been swimming naked right when the right. tide when goes the tide out goes you're going to find out who's swimming naked and so you want to make sure that just because the asset class has been doing well, you, when you go into the market, the same song we always sing, make sure you understand what that market supply demand drivers are. Make sure you understand how stable they are, how wide they are, and pick markets that are more favorable, that have other things working for them besides the fact that all ships are rising in, a, in an inflationary tide. We're looking at some of the clues in the news. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Live nationwide, you're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Find out more at realestateguysradio.com. If you're like me and thousands of others, you know that The Real Estate Guys radio show is a great source for quality content about investing in real estate. But did you know that they also have a book? I just finished reading their book, Equity Happens, and I was blown away by how much I learned. If you're ready to create sustainable wealth through real estate, you need to get Equity Happens. You'll learn, just as I did, about what it takes to prosper in the real estate industry. So don't wait. Make equity happen to you. Order your copy today at equityhappens.com. Live where you want to live, but invest where the numbers make sense. Even better, invest where you have a solid team to support you. We've been hearing great things about Memphis, Tennessee, and Terry Kerr from Mid-South Homebuyers. Since 2002, Terry and his team have been delivering turnkey rental property solutions ideal for out-of-area real estate investors. So if you're looking for affordable, trouble-free, turnkey investment property, call Terry. Use our resource hotline at 888-510-6838, extension 118. That's 888-510-6838, extension 118. Or find them in the resources area of our website at realestateguysradio.com. Come meet Terry Kerr when the Real Estate Guys come to Memphis for an investor field trip, April 26th to 28th. Get all the details at realestateguysradio.com and click on events. Hello, Robert Kiyosaki. Listen to the Real Estate Guys. They're wild and crazy, but they really know what they're talking about. Welcome back to the Real Estate Guys radio program. Thanks for tuning into the show today. Join us in Memphis, Tennessee, the last weekend in April. We've got a field trip on the calendar. You can learn more at realestateguysradio.com. Click on events and come hang out with the Real Estate Guys. Take a look at some clues in the news. There's a lot the market is saying, and we're trying to get that figured out as real estate investors. we got to keep our eyes open. Yeah, so this article goes on to say the recovery is also broadening to the lower end of the pricing market. And again, that's another clue. When you see an asset class moving across the board, irrespective of geography or property type, and then you see it at the lower end of the market price-wise, it tells you, to me anyway, the market isn't robust. And that's the difference between fundamentals pushing a market forward 
or inflation just making everything more expensive. Well, and you're also seeing this along the lines of demand for investment in terms of cap rates. We're seeing cap rates go down because right. more money is chasing the market. For a while there, when no money was chasing the market, cap rates were going up. Yep. So it seemed like a great time to invest. And if you'd invested in the right thing at the right place, it was. But now we're seeing money chase return, which is another clue. Absolutely. All right. So here's this last uh, article. It's really kind of a newsletter. It's not something you're going to get unless you subscribe to these things. This is something we get from John Burns Consulting. And uh, we're hoping to get them on the show here at some point here in the future because they do great work. Um, but this particular article caught my eye. It says, where will home prices rise the most? Check the law. And I thought, okay, there's another driver. There's yeah. another factor. And I looked up this list of these top 20 home value index, top 20 housing market, a 12-month change. And uh, it says inventories have plummeted in Western markets over the last year, helping to spur robust price growth. Again, supply-demand imbalance, Inventories right? are down. There's less supply. And even if it's similar demand or demand is holding, you're going to see that. All right. Well, and you're goosing demand by creating nearly free money with the interest rate situation. So that helps. Our home price index below shows just how much price appreciation has occurred in these last 12 months. And there's 20 markets here. And, and the, the concept here is that houses that are located in non-judicial foreclosure states, deed of trust states. where Okay, so no investor left behind. We need to cover this. There are different ways, according to the law, and that's the point John Burns and his team are making here, that a lender reacquires an asset when there is a default. Right, exactly. So in a judicial state, you have to take them through a legal process. You have to sue and go through a, a court hearing. In a non-judicial state, which is what most states are, uh, you've already agreed ahead of time, hey, if I don't pay, the trustee's empowered to sell it uh, on the courthouse steps. And you've already agreed to that. It's more efficient. The point is, is that the inventory flushes through. The bad inventory gets 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 cycled out of the market and the market can get back to normalcy because you don't have these foreclosures weighing on the market as long. Number one appreciating market on this index, Phoenix, Arizona. Wow. Where we happen so to be right it's now. It's not a coincidence that we're broadcasting from sunny Phoenix. What can I tell you? Up 19.1%. But think about what the biggest train wreck market was. Wait, I remember. Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs> it was Phoenix, Arizona. Number two on the market, San Francisco, Denver, San Diego, Las Vegas. Another one that got hit real hard. Riverside, San Bernardino got hit really, really is hard. Is Fort Myers, Cape Coral on that? Uh, well, Miami, Florida is, but Miami, Florida. Florida is a judicial foreclosure state. So ah. out of the top 20 appreciating marketplaces, 16 of them are non-judicial foreclosure states. Okay, that's an interesting premise. It is. So... But there's more to it than this. You say, okay, then that means they flush their bad inventory faster. A little more efficiently. Yeah. But it means that these other states that are judicial might be processing the inventory more slowly. Yep. Okay. So if the inventory that's coming onto the market, the bad inventory coming onto the market is having a drag down on prices and you're a buyer, that means the sale is going on longer. Yeah. So you may feel, oh, shoot, I missed Phoenix. Well, maybe you did. But maybe there's other markets on this list, and we're not here to point out markets. That's not the idea. The idea is the concept of you can look at the news, and the news can teach you a lot if you will read it diligently. Yeah. 
And, you know, and I, that's just kind of my little thing. I just, every day I read it and every once in a while it starts to speak to me. And I always love it when we get a chance to do one of these shows or get to do a presentation on the topic because you can just pull a group of random headlines and you delve into it and you begin to see things that are in there, great lessons that are really in there, things that are people are saying and things you think they're saying on the surface. And then you peel a couple of layers down in the onion, you realize there's a whole different meaning here than I even picked up. So hopefully through this show, you've picked up some of those things and you'll get more excited uh, about reading the news yourself and trying to understand what it's really saying to you where the opportunities are. Well, and if we are at the cusp of a big change like this, then we're going to continue to bring you what we can. And as you're our guests in the coming quarter, you're going to find out more about where they're investing and why and some of the reasons behind that. Most sophisticated, successful investors aren't throwing a dart at a map, right? They have a strategy, they have a methodology, and they're plugged in. And even if you're just starting in real estate, you can have those things. Now, you may not be at the same level of someone who has 10,000 units, but you have to treat your business of real estate investing like a business. Yeah, I mean, they're leaders. They're not following the herd. They, they, they are in front of the herd and they're not looking where the herd is going and then jumping in front of it, although that's kind of it. You know, you always, what's it, Will Rogers, I think, said, figure out where people are moving and go by there. Right. You know, something like that. But, you know, we watched Ken McElroy do that and he'd have him come out and talk to us about markets. We completely was like, why are you there? I don't get it. And he'd explain, wow, you're ahead of the curve. What a concept. And a lot of it was just looking at this basic information and having the courage to trust your own judgment, not waiting for someone to validate you, but going out and doing it. The second thing is hanging around with really smart people you know as we've really focused on hanging around the smartest people we can find and especially you know the summit and some of the field trips and things where we get a chance to spend time the syndication event where we get a chance to spend time with really smart people we find out what they're thinking and they're not thinking like the herd they're not waiting to see what's happening they're watching what's happening and then they're moving and so if you're close enough to a leader, you don't have to be the leader. You can follow the leader, but you don't want to follow the herd. All right. Good stuff. Well, lots to look at in the news today, and uh, we'll continue the clues of the news segments, as well as Ask the Guys. We've got another Ask the Guys show coming up in a few weeks. Here's what you need to do. Get to our website at realestateguysradio.com and click on the button that says Ask the Guys, and then fire away. Come up with a question, a comment, a suggestion for a show, and then once we get a bunch of those questions, we'll do a show. Actually, we do have a bunch of questions. But don't let that stop you. Still get your question into us. We love to get questions from listeners and do our best to answer those questions. A big thanks to folks in our resource center for making the show possible today. And we'll talk to you next week on the Real Estate Guys radio program. In the meantime, go out and make some equity happen. This episode of the Real Estate Guys radio show is brought to you by Paradigm Life. Powerful cash management strategies using life insurance. Learn more at beyourbank.com. Mid-South Home Buyers, low-cost, turnkey cash flow properties in Memphis, Tennessee. Corporate Direct, asset protection strategies for real estate investors from attorney and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton. Find these and other great companies under the Resources tab at realestateguysradio.com. To learn how you can expose your product or service to the Real Estate Guys audience, call 888-489-7723, extension 4. That's 888-489-7723, extension 4. Or use the feedback page at realestateguysradio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week right here on the Real Estate Guys Radio Show.